Um, real quick before I get started, I actually uh, had a chance to grab coffee with Dan, who we were just praying for a while ago. And and if you don't know, they're also a brand new church plant in the area. And, you know, one of the things that we realized is we're really different. Like, we have a lot of differences in the way that we approach church and stuff, but we realized that there's far more that we agree on than we disagree on. And so I'm just, I'm just so happy to be a part of what the Lord is doing here in the Heights area, here in Cleveland. Um, but I remember about, uh, gosh, it was about 12 years ago, maybe about 10 years ago, um, there was a church in Cleveland that had asked me to speak at their church. And at the time, I was uh, a pastor at a church in Columbus. And I remember it was a Saturday evening, and I was driving up to get ready to preach in their, at their church in the morning. And I was, I was going north on 71, approaching downtown. And I remember looking at the, the, you know, the skyline of downtown and just... I was, like, filled with, like, a deep love and compassion and just, like, this overwhelming sense of, like, um, I, can't even, I can't even put my finger on what it was. It was just this desire to see Cleveland uh, come into relationship with Jesus and I just was like, Jesus, like, what's going on? Why do I feel this deep passion, this love for this city that, like, I don't really know anything about? Um, and I felt so clearly Jesus say, JT, I love the city of Cleveland. And I was like, of course you do. You love everybody. And he was like, no, listen, I love Cleveland. And I began to, like, cry. I began to like fill up with this compassion and this like almost this sadness over the city that there were people and uh, all kinds of things that were just disconnected from God. And I felt like the Lord was saying, uh, giving me a little piece of his heart and saying, this is how I feel for this city. And in that moment, I felt like an invitation from the Lord. I felt like the Lord said, JT, would you want to join me in my mission and my plan and my heart to reconcile and to restore the city of Cleveland? And like that's like the heart of in Genesis of where this church started. Um, and, and, and at the very beginning, when the, the, the idea, the hope, the dreams of maybe starting a church in Cleveland uh, began to take form, and uh, I, I, I felt so clearly the Lord say to us, like, I'm not asking you to start a Sunday morning worship service. We don't need more of those. It's not what I'm asking you to do. But I felt clearly him saying, do you want to partner with me? I love this city, and I want to I see this city come to know me. I want them to know how much I love them. I want to see them thrive. I want to see uh, my good intentions for this city come to fruition. And do you want to join me in that? And, and listen, guys, like, 
that excites me. Like starting a club for people to come and sing songs at, you know, 10.30 in the morning doesn't excite me that much. What excites me is partnering with Jesus and his mission of reconciliation. And what's exciting is I, as I talk to you guys, I hear that in your hearts as well. And many of you talking to me about like, I want to see my neighborhood. I want to see my, my job. I want to see my school. I want to see the people that I am around come to know Jesus. And so, listen, this is the, the heart of who we are at Cleveland City Vineyard. And I really had a sense from the Lord that as we move into uh, 2023, as we, as we come into this new year, that the foundations that we kind of have built as a church, the friendships that we have kind of been forming, that now he's saying, would you go into your neighborhoods? Would you go into your workplaces? Would you go into the places that you normally go and carry me with you? And so all through this year, I think this is going to be a thread and hopefully not just through this year, but hopefully as long as we're a church, we are going to be talking about this idea of taking Jesus wherever we go. And so with that idea, we're going to start 2023 off by starting this new series called The Church Has Left the Building. The Church Has Left the Building. Here's what we mean. Uh, John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard, one time said this. He said, the church is not the building. It's the people. And it's not just the gathering, it's also the scattering. I think what, what Wimber was talking about was, this is important. Like in all that I just said, don't hear that th what we're doing in the mo Sunday mornings is unimportant. It's just not the only thing we're called to. The gathering is part of what we're called to do, but we're all supposed to scatter and take what we receive from the Lord on Sunday to our friends and family, that we are the church no matter where we are. We are the church even when we're not in a basement or a sanctuary or whatever. We are the church wherever we go. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to discuss what does that look like for Cleveland City Vineyard. What could that potentially look like for us? And so we're going to be talking about things like outreach and social justice and advocacy and praying for the sick and sharing our faith and all kinds of things like that because we want to be more than a church that just gathers on Sunday morning. Again, that's important, but we want to be a church that scatters as well. Amen? Well, let's pray and we will jump in. Uh, so, Lord, we thank you for the gathering. I thank you that you call us to come together, and you say in your word that when we gather, you are with us. And so, Lord, as we gather um, together, we pray that you are with us and that you fill us up with your presence. You fill us up with your spirit to do the things that you have called us to do. In your name, amen. All right, so we are going to start in Matthew 28. Um, this is probably a verse that many of you are familiar with. This is kind of a foundational verse for the church. This is Jesus really giving his followers a job description of what they are called to do, what we are called to do as followers of Jesus. And he says this, starting in verse 18. He says, Jesus came to them and said, 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So what is Jesus saying here? We talked a little bit about this last week. But Jesus is saying the central job of a believer, the central job of a follower of Jesus is to go and make disciples. To go and make disciples. Disciple is a churchy word that maybe doesn't mean anything to us, but really all that it means is it's a student. And more than just a student who learns information and, you know, enough to pass a test, it is someone who, like, really models their life after someone else and follows someone and says, I'm going where you're going. I'm doing what you're doing. And Jesus is calling us to go and make disciples, to go and make disciples. And the first point that I want to make this morning is that we are called to make disciples and not decisions. Jesus is inviting us into his mission to make disciples and not just decisions. Here's what I mean by that. When we talk about the church's posture towards those not in the church, when we talk about uh, what our posture should be towards, you know, whatever you want to call it, someone who's an unbeliever or not a Christian, when we talk about that, oftentimes what you'll hear is we need to get people to make a decision for the Lord, right? We need to get people to get saved, or we need to get them to say this prayer, or we need to uh, have them have a conversion moment, Right? You know, with all eyes closed, say this prayer with me, right? You've, if you heard those things, there's nothing wrong with those things, by the way. I'm not making fun of those things. Those things are, can be really, really good. Those things are really good. I've seen lives changed because of a conversion moment. I've seen lives changed because of people going from darkness to light and stuff like that. But here's the deal. There's nothing wrong with saying a prayer or having a conversion moment, but what does Jesus say? He doesn't say, get people to make a decision. He says, make disciples. And there's a difference. Disciples, again, are those who have dedicated their lives to following him. Not just say a prayer so they get to go to heaven. Jesus is inviting us to uh, make disciples. And there's so many implications to this that we'll explore over time. But one of them is that when we look at the Bible particularly in the New Testament, when we look at the followers of Jesus, we don't always see people have big conversion moments. Did you know that? We don't always see people have big conversion moments. Sometimes we do. But what we do see in the Bible is Jesus giving people an invitation. Jesus saying to people, come to me. Come and be with me. Come and be around me. Come spend time with me. Come and follow me. And for some people, that is a conversion moment. 
For some people, like in, in we, we read stories where Jesus says something like that, and it says they dropped everything and came with him and said, I'm following you forever. But for others, it wasn't like that. For others, it was a slow process of hanging out and, and checking out what all this Jesus stuff is about. And I have to be honest, this is what I see most often in real life. In my experience, I know a handful of people who had crazy conversion moments. My dad is here. He had a conversion moment where he was an unbeliever and became a believer. But if you were to ask me, I don't know if I had one of those moments. I had, like, if you were to ask me when I became a Christian, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. I was like, maybe when I was four, I said this prayer at bedtime, or I don't know, though. When did I really become a follower of Jesus? I don't know. I don't know. And, I'm, and I, I bet you, many of you would say something similar. Like, I grew up going to church, and, and you know, I grew up kind of believing, and then, you know, this happened, and this happened, and, and maybe you wouldn't be able to say, this was the moment that I became a Christian. Now, the Bible does talk about us going from darkness to light, and the Bible does talk about our names being written. So probably up in heaven, God knows when there was a conversion moment or not. But for us, we don't know. We don't know. And here's the other thing. I have done extensive studies on when Jesus talks about salvation. When Jesus talks about being saved, um, I found something out a, a number of years ago as I was studying it that was really significant. I found out that he never says a sinner's prayer. He never leads people through a sinner's prayer. And honestly, every situation where Jesus talks about salvation and says, you are saved, looks extremely different. It's become very mysterious the more I look at it. See, the, the Western view is salvation is you believe this, you say this, or you do this, and then you're saved. But I got to be honest with you. When I read the story of Jesus, it doesn't look like that. It doesn't look like that. Sometimes Jesus says you're saved because of your faith. Sometimes Jesus even said you're saved because of your friend's faith. Do you know that? There's this weird mystery. There's this thing that as I grow to learn more and more, the more I'm like, I don't know if I understand how this works. Here's what I do know. I've come to the opinion that we as 21st century Christians have made salvation into a formula that Jesus never made. You pray this prayer. You make this decision. Um, you you do this thing, but Jesus makes it a little bit more mysterious. And why is this important? Who cares? Why is this important? It's important because when we boil it down to a moment or a decision, it usually refers to what we believe or how we behave, right? It refers to what we believe or how we behave. If you believe the right things, then you're in. If you don't believe the right things, then you're out. If you do the right things, then you're in. But if you do the wrong things, then you're out. But what I have found is that believing the right things and doing the right things is not a prerequisite for Jesus. It's not. <laughs> but I want you to hear me. Believing the right things, what we believe is extremely important. 
what we believe is important. I'm not saying that. Hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that what you believe is not important or how you behave. I'm not saying that how you behave is not important. But what I have learned is that how you behave and knowing all the right things doesn't stop Jesus from calling people to him. It's in the following him. It's in the coming around him. It's in the spending time with him that our beliefs actually begin to change. Our behaviors begin to change. I think about people like the thief on the cross. If you know that story, there was someone right next to Jesus dying on the cross. I don't know what he believed. I don't, we don't know if he had all the right theology, if he understood atonement in the right way, or if he understood the, the Trinity. We don't know what he believed. But Jesus said, listen, you're with me. Come to me. A lot of times in theological circles, this is kind of what we, we will talk a lot about in this church, is, is we have this idea of bounded set theology and center set theology. Can you, yeah, it's right up here. And bounded set theology is, is very typical in church circles. You hear people say, who is in and who is out, and what is the thing that keeps people in and keeps people out? Right? Did they say this prayer? Do they believe like these things? Do they, you know, behave in this certain way? Okay, if they do that, then they're in. If they don't, then they're out. But what I believe and what I see typically modeled in the Bible is something called center set theology, where Jesus is at the center and he is inviting people to come to him. And really the question is, are you coming to him or are you going away from him? There's maybe not this, like, boundary of this. these are the in people and these are the out, but he's saying, are you walking towards me or are you walking away from me? And do you see why this is important? Do you see why this might change the way we interact with the world? When we think about things like evangelism or sharing our faith or outreach, instead of thinking, I need to get people to believe the right thing, or to do the right things, what we ought to be thinking is, I want to introduce these people to Jesus. I want, I want these people to meet Jesus because here's what I found in my life is believing the right things can be helpful, but what has radically changed my life is not a belief system. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus being with me, encountering me, his spirit filling me up as what's changed me, what has impacted me more than anything. And again, I want you to hear me that what we believe is important and, and what we do is important, but not as important as do we know Jesus? Have we met him? And this has totally shifted the way I think about things like evangelism. And I just want to say, Gosh, evangelism is a dirty word, right? In churches, we, when we think about evangelism, it's got all kinds of implications and, and weird things, and I get that. But I love evangelism. You know what it translates to? Is like good newsism. Good newsism. When we talk about evangelism, it's it's spreading the good news. 
And what's the good news? It's that Jesus is calling you to him. It's that Jesus is saying, come to me. And so for me, instead of thinking I need to get this person to change what they believe and to stop being this religion and start being this religion, or I need to, to argue this, this person into faith, what I ought to be thinking is I want to introduce this person to Jesus. And instead of elevating ideas or behaviors, I believe the Lord is challenging us to elevate him, to lift him up. Just like, just, just like we see over and over and over again in Scripture, lifting Jesus up, preaching Jesus and Jesus crucified, saying, if you lift me up, all nations will come to me. Jesus is not inviting us into a way of life. He's inviting us into new life through him. I remember I, I have a really close friend named Rashid who um, has been a, a great friend for years and years and he was an atheist and we would have countless late night talks where we'd sit on his front porch or sit in my car and just talk for hours about spirituality or Christianity or about life and he would always ask these really really great theological questions and I would always give him like what I thought were really good answers to his questions and there was always another question. And one day, we were, it was actually like super late at night. It was like three in the morning. We were sitting outside of his house. Um, and he brought up, I don't even remember what it was, but he brought up some really difficult theological question. And I remember he said, well, how, how do you explain that? And I was like, I can't explain it. And to be honest with you, Rashid, I have some questions that are probably harder than that one. I have some things that re I really struggle with. But you know what? I could introduce you to Jesus if you want. And, like, I think on accident he was like, okay. And so we sat in my car, and we just prayed. I just invited the Holy Spirit to come. And, and, and I, 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 don't know, I don't know how he would explain it, but what he says is that moment changed his life that he met Jesus in that moment. And he still, we'll still have these deep theological conversations. We still have questions, but there's an understanding, but, but I know Jesus. But I know Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that idea is freeing for me. The idea that I don't have to know all the answers, that I don't have to argue people into being a Christian is freeing. It takes all the pressure off of me and it puts it onto God. It puts it onto God. It says, well, Jesus, if you don't show up, <laughs> nothing's going to happen. But here's what I believe. Revelation chapter 7 says this. It says, salvation belongs to our God. He is the God of salvation. He is the one who draws people in. We are not. We don't have to convince people. We just have to introduce them to Jesus. Which leads me to the second thing I want to talk to you about is that as a church and as individuals, we want to build bridges and not barriers. God is calling us to be bridge builders and not barrier builders. So many times, especially growing up 
in like the 80s and 90s, there was so much fear of those people. And I think there still is today. But the idea of being a Christian or, or being the church is how do we keep the bad people from influencing us? Like, how do we keep our kids away from, I remember when I was a kid, it was like, how do we keep kids away from Dungeons and Dragons and Halloween and, and, and you know, whatever it is. And now, like, uh, I don't even want to get into it. There's all these kinds of things that's like, can we keep these people away? Can we keep these ideas away? Can we keep those people out so we can be safe? How do we protect ourselves from the outsiders? But we want to be people not looking to build walls, but looking to build bridges. Looking to build bridges to people. Bridges to engage and to connect. I remember I was working at a different church, and there was a guy who's going around to different churches um, trying to get, uh, I don't know if he's selling them or giving them away, but these booklets that were just filled with all of the different Christian businesses or businesses that were run by Christians. And the idea was, listen, you can give these to your people, and so they never have to interact with someone who's not a believer. They can just constantly be, you know, circling around other Christians. And wouldn't that be just great if all of us Christians just could be together and we could keep the bad people out? We would never have to go to a, we could go to a Christian mechanic and a Christian barber and a Christian this and a Christian that. And I just remember like throwing up in my mouth, like, no, this is not what we're called to do. Gosh, we are looking for opportunities to build bridges to people. To be good news people, to be gospel people. Like I said, we see Jesus offering invitations to people. We see Jesus not spending his time with the religious folks, but but building bridges to the non-religious folks. And here's the thing, we do see Jesus having conflict with people. Like, you might say, it seems like Jesus built some walls and had conflict with certain people. But you know who he had conflict with? Yeah, the the wall builders. (laughs) The ones who said, let's keep those people out. He said, no, 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 no. Stop. Like, let the children come to me. Let the lepers come to me. Let the sex workers come to me. Let the people who don't believe come to me. Let the foreigners come to me. Constantly people were saying, but not that one, right? Not that one. He's this or or she's that. If you only knew Jesus and he said, no, 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 no. I've come for the sick, not the people who think they are healthy. I've come for the people who know that they are sick. Building bridges. And I believe Jesus is inviting you, inviting me to be bridge builders. To be bridge builders. To, like, to, to look for the people who, who, who need Jesus. Because here, here's what I've learned. Is that um, we're all sick. And we all need Jesus. And Jesus is actively working with every single person you come encounter with. There's not a person in this world that Jesus isn't 
actively pursuing, that he actively isn't loving. And, and our job is to come and partner with him and build bridges to those people. With wall builders, Jesus had conflict with, but with everyone else, there was this highly inclusive, highly welcoming, come to me. Come to me. He embraced lepers. He ate with the sinners, the tax collectors, the Romans, the Samaritans, the sex workers, the anyone. He said, come to me. That's what we're called to do. Uh, just randomly this week, I was like scrolling through um, uh, Instagram reels. And have you heard, seen that meme about how like Instagram reels are for like people my age who aren't on TikTok or something like that? Anyways, that's not. So I was <laughs> looking through these Instagram reels, and there was this one that I kept on seeing of this one street preacher who go into these different places. Like, one of the ones I saw him on was, like, on an airplane. And then one I saw him going into, like, Subway or something. And he would just go and basically preach this message of hell and sin and say, does anyone want to give their life to Jesus now? And, like, occasionally there would be people who raise their hand. But, but I just remember thinking, like, that's not what I want us to do. Like, I... I don't want to judge him. I don't want to judge that he's, you know, his heart or whatever, but that's not what I want this church to be. Like, I don't want this church to be known for we're against people or we think those are the bad people. I want us to be, like, so full of the love of Jesus. We're just overflowing with his love that it, it just, we can't help but, like, getting his love on other people. That people might be like, I don't, I don't, I don't know totally what they believe, or I don't, I don't know if I agree with everything they believe, or I don't know if I would be a Christian. But I, those people are really nice. They're kind, and they do good in our neighborhood, and they they stand up for justice, and they feed hungry people, and they they're good people. So how do we do this? Where do we even start? I kind of want to end with this idea. Where do we start? For some of us, when we think of evangelism, we think of talking to strangers about Jesus. Or people who go door to door and stand outside of Dave's handing out tracts and, you know, those kind of things. Tracts are little Christian pamphlets. Or walk around the street looking uh, for people who maybe don't know Jesus and asking if they can talk to them about Jesus for a few minutes. And gosh, I am not, I'm not in any position to say that those people are wrong in their approach, but I will say, what if we started by thinking about the people who are already in our lives? Our neighbors, your brother-in-law, your coworker, your classmates, the waitress that, at the restaurant you go to every day? What if we started by asking Jesus to show us what he is doing in their life and asking, Jesus, how can I partner with you in that? Every single person in our lives, like I said, God is actively pursuing. And what if we said, Jesus, how can I partner with you in that?
What are you doing in this person's life that I can, I can be a part of that? And then praying that God would open up opportunities. Also, one of the things that my mom used to always, you know, when we, we would she would pray for us as we would go to school or whatever, and she'd say, I just pray for opportunities to share Jesus with people. What if we prayed that, Lord, would you open up opportunities for us to share your love with people? And then we keep our eyes open. One of the, one of the key texts that we, we say in the vineyard is, Jesus one time said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying, that, that we should keep an ear and eye open to what, what, what God is doing in other people's lives. And then, and then do it. We keep our eyes open. We look for opportunity. You know, you know one of the biggest opportunities for me? It's a weird thing, but my tattoos are almost always an opportunity for me to share Jesus with people. Um, and this was not the reason I got them, but, like, all my tattoos are all Bible stories, or most of them. Um, and so when people ask me about my tattoos, I say, oh, actually, there's stories in the Bible. And then almost always there's, like, this opportunity where they're like, oh, you got Bible tattoos, and then we can talk about Jesus a little bit. Um, but I'm not, like, shoehorning it in. I'm not, like, saying, like, you know, can I talk to you about the four spiritual laws, or can I lead you through the Romans, or, or like, all these things that if you grew up in the church, were all the ways that you're supposed to share your faith. But I just talk, and I just talk about my story, what Jesus has done in my life, and and, and, you know, whatever it is. And then I, I just ask the Lord, what are you doing? And maybe I don't do anything. Maybe, maybe what Jesus is calling you to do is to share your story with someone. Maybe he's calling you to just be a really good listener to someone. Maybe he's calling you to be a friend to someone who doesn't have a friend or to, to, to pray for someone. I remember I had a boss whose uh, brother took his life. And I remember the Lord say, tell him that you'll, like, ask him if you can pray for him. And I went to him and I said, hey, can I pray for you? And he said, yeah, I'd love that. And like a good pastor, I said, um, this guy wasn't a believer, by the way. And I, uh, like a good pastor, I said, can I pray for you? And he said, yeah. And I said, okay, I'm going to pray for you at home. Um, but God said, no, I want you to pray for him now me to pray for him now. And I was like, I don't know why it was intimidating to me, but I just prayed for him. I prayed for him. And like, he just started to weep and like stuff like that. Very rarely do people say no. People like if, if your intention is to care and you've built equity with people and you, they know that you love them, you can say, can I pray for you? Or, or, or kind of stuff like that. Laura like has been such a great example to, to me because she's like, you know, wherever she goes, she's like listening to what the Lord might have to do. So she's like at some like bar or something and she's praying for some drunk girl in the bathroom. And she's just constantly doing that because she's just... Jesus, I know you're up to something, and I want to be a part of that. Here's a simple one. Maybe there are people in your life that God wants you to invite here. Maybe there are people in your life that God is saying, invite them to church. There's this idea that we see in Scripture, this, you know, we read about going and being sent out, but there's also this idea of come and see. 
come and see. And, and we have a really great opportunity to say, hey, do you want to come to church with me? And what I believe is that the Holy Spirit shows up in those moments. The Holy Spirit is here. And if we, if we take time to say to people, come, just come with me to church. That's, that's like, people might say no, but they're not going to be mad at you. And I just, I just want to encourage you, maybe over the next couple weeks, be praying, are, are there people in my life that I can invite to church? That I could invite to, to church. And I really believe that there are people in your lives that will say yes. And in the back, if you want, we have business cards. We have invites that you can take with you. But And, and listen, I'm not saying this so we can grow our church. I'm saying this is so we can grow the kingdom. That people can meet Jesus. And I just want to end with this. There, I, I believe that maybe even in this room, or maybe you're listening to this online. Maybe you, you've never come into, count, into an encounter with Jesus. Maybe you say, I don't, I, don't, I don't know him. I've never met him. Maybe there's like a little bit of an apprehension. Like, I'm, I don't really like the church. I don't really like... Christians, I got to be honest, sometimes I don't either. But I want you to hear this. Jesus loves you so much. Jesus has seen you when you feel alone. And he's been with you. Even when you didn't know he was there. Jesus has seen you cry. And he's cried with you. And he's inviting you into a real true, authentic relationship with him where, where, where you can know his heart, where you can talk with him. Maybe you've been hurt or judged by Christians. And, and if that's you, I want to apologize to you. I'm sorry about your experience. Know that Jesus doesn't like what those people did to you either. But I want you to know he's for you and he loves you. And what I want to do to end is take a moment to invite the Holy Spirit here. And for those of us maybe who've never encountered Jesus, I feel like he wants to introduce himself to you. Or maybe it's just been a long time for you. Maybe you haven't had an encounter with God in quite some time, but I want to just take a moment where we dial down and say, come, Holy Spirit. Because here's, here's what I believe, that Jesus wants to, in this moment, invite you into a deeper relationship with him, or maybe for the first time. Because we at the Vineyard, we believe that he is alive and all of this stuff we talk about is not just things that we believe in our heads, but it's some, it's 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 a person, it's a it's a real being that we get to interact with, that speaks with us. And I I, I already sense his presence here this morning. 
So I just want you to, if you, if you feel comfortable, to just to open your heart, open your mind, maybe even open your hands, um, just taking an open posture with your body to say, okay, Lord, I want to experience you. And I know we were kind of making fun of this earlier, but let's close our eyes and just take a moment. Invite him here. <laughs>